The way that I describe a soul venturer is the individual who consistently says yes to the call for more in their life, that says yes to the journey, that is embarking on a venture from their soul. Souls are not roles and roles are not souls. Our deepest and authentic expression will have to be honored and considered in our vocation. It's so liberating when you can go into something for impact beyond you. When my value changed from me to impact, my path became clear. When we create the impact for others, it actually lights us up and it fills us up even more to make an even greater impact. We become this walking, talking, living, breathing billboard of our mission, message, and truth. This whole process is an identity shift where we're going from who we think we are in our mind to who we really are in our heart. Are you intrigued? That's Robert B. McGinnis, the founder and CEO of Soul Venturer. Robert went on a deeply personal journey of discovery in his life, a journey which created this identity shift and uncovered the path for Robert to live out his calling. Now, he helps others to navigate their own journey to find, then clarify, then walk their own path in life. In order to experience true fulfillment, your deepest and most authentic expression of yourself must be honored in your vocation. This conversation explores the ways in which that is possible. I'm grateful to share with you all today the thought-provoking insights of Robert B. McGinnis. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. Hello. I have a great guest for you today named Robert B. McGinnis. Robert uh, worked with Cutco from 2006 to 2014, advancing as far as the district manager position uh, in New Jersey. After leaving the company, he moved through several different roles, ultimately deciding to found his own company called Soul Venturer, where Robert is helping people to live their calling. Uh, He has developed a great process that we're going to talk about today, and he has been seen in many publications to talk about this process, such as Forbes, Entrepreneur, Disrupt, Thrive Global, ABC, NBC, and Fox. And so I'm really excited to be able to share his insights with you today. Robert, thanks very much for making time for the podcast. Dan, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really looking forward to this podcast today. Well, welcome. I know we're going to have a great conversation. Uh, Take us back to 2006, Robert, and tell us a little bit about how you got started with Cutco. 
Oh man, it's it's a great it's a great story here. So I remember the day I got the letter, the the mailer, the letter in the mail, and I remember looking at this. And my dad and I we we did a little research, and he goes, "Oh, this is Cutco," and my mom's like, "Cutco, she's owned Cutco for like twenty five years." Uh, it was actually a gift uh, her mother, my grandmother, gave her as on the day of her wedding. It was her wedding gift, wow. and. Uh, my mom loves Cutco. My mom's an unbelievable cook. And uh, I, I still believe that she's the best cook in the world. And uh, yeah, I already had so much conviction in the Cutco product. And I remember going in for the interview. It was actually a branch office. So this is, this is my story. I started in a branch. And my last manager, Michael Chu, who I spent a lot of my career with, tells me that I'm a Cutco anomaly. He goes, I'm statistically should not have existed within Cutco. Because I started in a branch. And I made it all the way up to, you know, a, a well-producing district manager. And so I, was, I remember that summer, I remember going to Ramel's office, going in for the interview. And I remember like, I remember being a little nervous, right, for like this interview. But I remember like wanting to like really impress. And uh, I got the job and it was like, I was so excited. I went into training. I remember I was so excited. I just wanted to set up a lot of appointments. And I think I did like 3,400 in my fast start. And then uh, I had to train for football. So I was uh, playing college football. So I did a lot of training in the summer. I had moments where like I wasn't as consistent in the summer. And then I had, I then went to uh, the DVM meeting or the, the, the district meeting, right? Where I think it was Mike Habucky was there, Michael Chu, you know, some, some, I think Charlie Rudia was there. And I remember learning about all of these sales skills. And I remember the bathroom clothes. The bathroom clothes is the clothes that, that took my sales career or through the roof. And I remember them, there was this teaching that if you, you know, you got to the clothes and you could feel that, you know, the husband and the wife just wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And they, they just, they just say, Hey, just ask to use the bathroom. Yeah. Give <laughs> so, them some time. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the bathroom. And I'd come back and they were, yes. Yes. <laughs> so I sold so many galley sets, gourmet sets, homemaker sets, just from the bathroom clothes. And uh, that, <laughs> that clothes definitely made me some nice commissions. We used to uh, tell our reps to say, hey, you know, when if this is basically when you feel like there's any sort of like, minor tension where the husband and wife want to discuss it and they don't feel comfortable discussing yeah. directly in front of you just exactly. excuse yourself for a couple minutes and let them talk and normally they talk it out and they end up buying yeah. right and we used to tell our reps yeah uh, ask you know tell them hey i gotta go get something in my car i'll be back yeah. in like three minutes you know and go out to the car and then uh one of my guys says uh yeah when the customer says to me hey so what'd you get out of your car after they've already said yes and decided to buy right the rep the, the rep would kind of wink at the customer and go oh, i went to get my lucky order form <laughs> <laughs> that's great so yeah i and i remember you know i had i had then went off to college you know i was, I was really focused on school and football and the branch had kind of closed down and i remember talking to ramel i said you know like i'd like to kind of stay in touch you know, with Cutco and he introduced me to, to Michael Chu. And I remember going into like the first meeting and, and Mike Chu's office, he had, a, he, had, he had a district office, he had a bigger office, he had a larger team. And right. you know, I, I was like my first day at school kind of again, like I felt kind of shy. I remember like, like not really, you know, talking to too many people and just kind of sitting in the back. But I knew like the, the Cutco opportunity called me in some way. Like I knew there was something kind of there. And I had done the, the winter break uh, that winter break, I had came back to sell for like two or three weeks. 
sold, you know, just like a, you know, a couple orders here and there. And then I, you know, decided like, oh, what did I want to do that next summer? And I knew I wanted to stay with Cutco. And I knew that my whole life, I'll just kind of take this back here. So my whole life, I had kind of two polar opposite ends of my family. My mom was a first generation from the Middle East. She was born in Jordan. She was one of 10 siblings. They came here to the U.S. with really nothing, virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. And my mother's four brothers, my four uncles, have all become you know, really successful entrepreneurs. And a lot of my mom's side of the family were successful entrepreneurs. And I think that that was what called me the Cutco opportunity was because it was different. It wasn't like a normal job. Right. It was like I got a chance to have, like, to kind of sink my teeth in into an entrepreneurial like experience. And that's what really, really called me. My father's side of the family is actually the complete opposite. They're a small knit spiritual family uh, in Northern New Jersey. And uh, so I kind of grew up having these two polar opposite ends of my family. One was a bunch of entrepreneurial party animals, and the other was, you know, very proper and spiritual. And I kind of like, you know, was very open to different worldviews and very open to different experiences. And so I was very open to the Cutco experience because I felt like, you know, it was different. And I want, I always identified as being different. Like I always felt like I was different than, than everyone else in some way. And I didn't want to just do what everyone else was doing. And I knew that like, that's what like really aligned really deeply with me with the Cutco experience was that like, it was an opportunity for me to sink my teeth and getting some real world business experience. Yeah, it's cool to hear uh, the range of your experiences with uh, with your your family background and and what that brought to your life, and then uh, getting to work with people like Mike Chu, Mike Hibucky, That must have been really cool. <laughs> what What do you remember about working with those guys, and what do you feel like were some of the lessons that came from your your early yeah. days with Cutco? Yeah, there were so many. I think the thing that Michael Chu brought was the idea of team. Like he was a great developer. Like he was really great at developing team and, and creating a team culture and team environment. And in order to do that, you, you know, there's that, that leadership saying, you know, right, leaders see in us what we can't see in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he really always saw like the, the greatest potential in every person that walked through his door. And it was in that, that like he, saw like, hey, like this person has a skill, they have a gift, they have a uniqueness to them, and that they can make an impact in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of the beauty of the Cutco experience. It's, it's putting people in a business container, where you're, it's not a corporate experience, but it's a container that allows you to play out your gifts in a business setting. And what what you get to learn from that is that there's something that transcends experience, right? And there's something that transcends like a resume. And what transcends experience, what transcends a resume are someone's innate and inherent gifts that they have. And what Cutco leaders always did is that they were always able to see your gift in you and try to find a place or a role or a seat on the bus, so to speak, where you could thrive in your gift. And I think that's what Mike Chu did really well. And like, being able to see all of these different experiences and all these people from different experiences come together and refine their rawness, right, into something that could be honed in, right, a sharpened blade, right, so to speak, uh, and to use that in in the world and, and to take that on their journey, I think is like what what makes the Cutco experience so magical, in my opinion, right? It's, yeah. it's not this cut, it's not this corporate experience, but it's this container where you get to take your rawness and refine it. And so I think that's really a blessing of, of the Cutco experience in and of itself. So cool to hear. Thank you for saying that. I've heard I've heard someone say that 
Cutco allows you to be yourself and still fit in. Yeah. Um, you know, that all these different types of people can come together and can fit in as a part of a team. And a great yeah. leader, like you referenced with Mike Chu, is able to see the gifts that each person brings, to see the power of that diversity of a team yeah. and, and, and enable each person to, you know, bring their gifts to the forefront uh, to do well uh, with us. And so it's cool, uh, cool that you recognize that and saw that during your time here. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I'll just share is, that I got a chance to learn what it means to like really set a vision and a goal for myself and like how to break down, how to like access, make a plan to attain that goal. You know, whether it was a push period or my goal for the summer or my goal for the year, like, you know, it was like the skill of like learning how to take a big picture and then break it down into something like that's tangible that mm -hmm. you have to like hit milestones and you have to hit your daily targets is something that I will take with me forever. Beyond, and that, that's just that, that goes beyond just also the natural inherent people skills that I've gained, you know, in doing all of the presentations, all of the phone calls that I made, all of the, you know, hundreds and thousands of people that I interviewed in the Cutco experience. Like all of that has helped me really hone in on my emotional intelligence. And I think that we live in a world right now where emotional intelligence is rising. Like intellectual IQ is very important. We need IQ, but the culture doesn't really support EQ right now. And I think we're seeing a world where all the, 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 the massive change that's happening, I think EQ is a huge part of the business conversation that, that needs to continue to be had. And I think Cutco really helped me sharpen, no pun intended, there's definitely pun intended there, to sharpen my EQ, my emotional quotient, my emotional intelligence, and how to really take that to the world. Yeah, one of the ways I feel like Cutco sharpens our emotional intelligence is that we experience failures from time to time in Cutco. It's like you, you have a no sale, right? Yeah. That's a small failure. Yep. You have a customer that, you know, doesn't say yes on the phone or hangs up, you yep. know, is rude. Like, I mean, there are yeah. lots of little experiences like that that go on where you're subject to some sort of resistance. Yes. And I think that's a big part of building one's muscle of success is experiencing some level of resistance. I feel like the opposite is happening with a lot of young people today in society in that they're yeah. being shielded from resistance and they're being 100%. taught that, oh, you know, if something is negative over here, like we should, we should not let that happen. Uh, we should not, you know, even stuff as simple as like uh, listening to dissenting opinions, like is being, is being uh, uh, squashed these days. And that's all part of the muscle that's built of, you know, being able to develop critical thinking and to understand how to handle adversity, uh, yeah. much bigger adversities that come our way. And uh, to me, that was certainly a part of the Cutco experience in, in my early days that I got a lot from that uh, I think really helped me. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. And it's so funny looking back on it. Yeah, there were so many of those little moments, those like micro moments where the client says, the customer says no, that, you know, that they're not buying today. Right. And, you know, the, the customer says, Hey, I can't, I can't see you this week or I, I, I'm not interested. Right. Or you have an interview where no one shows to training. Right. You know, all of those little moments, a hundred percent. Right. All of those moments help develop my ability to see myself through the adversity, my self image. Right. It definitely, Kako will definitely sharpen your ego too. And there's an aspect, there's elements where we need our ego, right? We need to have, we need to self-identify. We need to see ourselves in a certain way to perform at a high level. 
And all people that perform at a high level, they have a healthy development of their ego. And really, Cutco helped me like develop my ego through the adversity and seeing how I keep going, right? How I'm, how I'm still continuing, how I'm still getting results in the midst of this adversity. And it really strengthened how I saw myself, right? It strengthened yeah. my self-esteem. It strengthened, right, my ability to relate to myself. And within that, I think it was just invaluable in, in, my, in my honest opinion. Awesome. Cool to hear. What do you feel like was a transformational moment in your career? Yeah, it was my first branch experience. So I was in college and it was funny. I was taking a professional selling course in college and I was asked in college to, we had to give a presentation on something. And I said, I got this. So I brought in my Cutco knife set and I, I gave a presentation and I, I knocked it out of the park. I remember going through college and saying, I knew that I was heading into the business world. Like I knew that for a fact. I was very certain about my identity and like who I, who I was and who I still am. And I remember saying, like, you know, school's great. I love school, but there's things that I'm going to learn in the business world that are going to transcend my GPA. They're going to transcend college degree. And um, I remember deciding that I had to either study for one of my finals or, you know, go train for my branch. And I remember feeling so confident that I was going to go all in on my branch. I felt so certain about like that what this experience was and what I was going to gain was going to far outweigh you know, this class. It's not a knock to college, but it was just me being really clear on who I was. Right. And I remember waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning. It was like maybe late April, early May. And I was in on my college campus, but I would go to my territory, which was about an hour away, and I would advertise. I, I, would, I, was, going all, I was hitting all my campuses. I was chalking all the classrooms. And like I was, I was grinding, and I was one of the number one branches uh, in terms of touches and campus touches. You know that May and April, I remember working my tail off. Like I was working from you know eight in the morning to like ten at night, and I was having a true branch experience, and that was what I wanted. I wanted to put myself in a business experience because I, that's kind of how I saw myself. And I ended up recruiting. I think like my first branch, I think it was 135 reps in my first summer. But my PPR was like $150. <laughs> so I remember feeling so defeated, right? We talked about adversity, like, man, like I put in so much. I risked a lot. I put a lot on the line and I had like this kind of experience. And I remember feeling really defeated. Like I was starting to have a little bit of like almost like an identity crisis that I identified as an entrepreneur. But here I am not having like, you know, these, results that I'd like to have. Mm-hmm. I remember going to, I think it was the, um, it was either a fall kickoff or it was the end of the summer like events. And I remember the regional manager at the time saying, Hey, if you don't go branch a second time, you're not building off your first branch experience. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, like you, most people don't have the experience they want in business the first time around. Right. And I remember saying, you know, what? like I have to commit to this again because I still believe that there was so much to learn in the Cutco experience that I had only scratched the surface. Even as much as I did learn in my branch experience, I, I still felt like I was only scratching the surface of like what I was capable of. And I remember speaking with Mike Chu and I was deciding whether I was going to stay with Cutco or go actually to the corporate world, leaving college, sorry. And I interviewed around and the branch experience that I had put me at the top of the map in terms of the interview. Like everyone wanted to talk. Like I got a lot of offers. And I remember turning them down. And I remember my parents thinking I was crazy. 
you know, that was probably one of the more challenging things because my, my parents, you know, they, they didn't have flack, but they wanted me to be secure and safe. But here I am like wanting to take all these risks at a young age and they wanted me to slow down and like, you know, take security. And I remember looking into that and saying, wow, like, I feel like I'm choosing against myself. I feel like if I go that route, like I'm not really being in alignment of who I am. I'm not living truly authentically to myself. And so I ended up talking with Mike Chu, became his pilot. That was my first year out of college. And we crushed it. You know, we did over a million dollars his first year. We had one of the best falls ever. You know, we crushed campus to recruits. And, you know, I remember saying, like, I'm going to crush my district opportunity. And so that year later, I got my second territory. We opened up. And right out of the gates, you know, we did really well. We were one of the top offices in the country, top new offices. You know, for me, I always struggled with PRs. That was my, my struggle was like actually getting the PR program up and running. And that was the right. time where PRs were like the really starting to pick up traction in terms of like the results that PRs could get versus traditional, you know, uh, other sources of traditional recruiting. Yep. And uh, PRs were a little challenging for me. And I remember having some like really high highs and really low lows throughout my summer. And, you know, I rode that wave and I did, I did really well, I think for the most part, but I didn't do as well as I wanted to. So to me, I felt like, well, not that it was a failure, but it was maybe a part, like I was more disappointed in myself that mm-hmm. I didn't do as well as I wanted to, especially my second time around. And then at that point, you know, I had closed down. Uh, it was two years later and I took a little bit of a break and I decided to go the tech sales route. Yeah. I said, Hey, you know, like, let me, let me actually give the, the corporate world a real like experience. And maybe this could be a fit for me. Uh, I landed a, a sales role at a company called Trustpilot in New York City. And uh, the first six months, I did really well. I was the number one rookie. I remember uh, them talking to me about my Cutco experience and using my Cutco experience in the interview. Uh, And as part of their interview process, you had to give a presentation for their product. You had to research the product, research the competitors, actually give a demo. Sounds like that's right up your alley. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember giving the demo and I I remember crushing it out of the park. They had said that that was one of the best presentations that they had ever seen. And I truly believe it was because of the, the Cutco experience, right, that I had gained. And I remember coming in and I said, I wanted to blow this out of the water. And they had offered a, a, an incentive trip to Aruba. And I remember saying, like, you know, they had room for one rookie, right, to come on in, a newbie to come on in and make the trip. And I said, I, I, I had my eyes set on the I had the eye of the tiger, uh, so to speak. And I remember I was doing everything I could to make sure I hit that trip. And I did. And yeah, it was funny. It was like right after that trip, like all of my momentum just felt like it flatlined, like again. Mm. And I remember having these different sensations in my body. And mind you, I had about a three hour round trip commute to work from New Jersey to New York City. And I remember saying to myself at some point where like my stomach would turn, my throat would close up, my chest would tighten. I just felt like I didn't belong there. I felt like a black sheep. I felt like Mm. I was here for something bigger, but I also had a salary and I had a benefits plan. And at the time, I thought it was the job, but really, as I kind of like went deeper in understanding this, it really, it wasn't the job. It was just me. It was just that I, I, I knew that I was here for something bigger, and I felt like I was playing it safe if I stayed there too long. So, I, Robert, this was now we're into like uh, 2015, 2016-ish? That's correct. Um, that was 2015, yeah. You had been a, a district manager in Cutco for about two and a half years? Correct. And left largely because you felt like results didn't match up to expectations and there yeah. was this desire to see if you could you know play in a different pool and how you could succeed and then so you went on to this 
next venture where you crushed it and did really well, but you didn't feel like you fit in in that. You you you'd missed some of the feeling you had had in Cutco, and and so there was still something missing for you in your life at this point. Exactly. It was kind of like this dichotomy of, okay, this is who I am, but in order to stay here, I have to grow or kind of play it safe and take, you know, the security and the salary and, and maybe go this route. And I, I felt like this one wasn't fully working and this one definitely wasn't working. So the only thing that led me to is that I have to grow. I have to mm-hmm. continue my journey of there's something inside of me that wants to come out in the world. And now I have to like uncover what this is and, and I have a duty. Right? I have a sacred responsibility to take this and bring it to the world in some way. And that was, I know that now, but at the time, that was more of the feeling. I didn't really know all of what I know now. And so that's when I said, I was like, you know what? Like, I have to figure this out. There's something inside of me that wants to come through. Yeah. So I ended up going on a personal development binge and journey for about five years and still am on it. We're all on our journey of continuing our development. But it was actually Ben Skimper former Cutco district manager who had left Tony Robbins's, you know, platinum partnership group. And he was starting a mastermind, a sales training mastermind. And mm-hmm. I remember saying, wow, this felt like it was the right fit. Uh, Cause I was still in sales at the time, but Ben brings, you know, all of his experience in such a robust way into really helping someone not only uncover like how they can create a, a, a big vision for themselves, but also how can they find their path of alignment? How can they find their path of that's true and authentic to them. And I remember going into that saying, wow, like there's some answers here. And so Ben introduced me to Dr. Donnie Epstein. He introduced me to Tony Robbins events that I had gone into and all of the the vast experience that he had gained. And that was a huge, I would say, uh, catapult for me, uh, that experience, because it really opened me up to a whole new world. And I knew that I was getting a call to coach in some way, that that was part of this. And Ben really helped me hone in on like what that looks like and and how to make that happen in in a profound way. One of the things that really resonates with me that you said, Robert, is the idea of the feeling something inside that wants to come out. Yeah, I think that that's like that. It really resonates with me and throughout my vector career as it's progressed and I've had you know increasing levels of success in different roles. I've constantly felt like, you know, there, there is something that I need to have an outlet for, uh, that's not necessarily a part of my day-to-day vector role. I think this podcast is an example of, you know, a way that I am able to bring a piece of that out. And I think that, uh, that a lot of people are, anybody who's ambitious, you know, probably has a piece of that, that thought in their mind as well. So this led you to founding Soul Venturer. Is that right? That's correct. What is a soul venturer? That's <laughs> a great question. So the way that I describe a soul venturer is that the soul venturer, it's an archetype. It's an archetypal expression. And it's, it's an archetypal expression of an individual who consistently says yes to the call for more in their life. Mm. That says yes to the journey for more in their life. That is embarking on a venture from their soul. That, that's very powerful. An individual who consistently says yes to the call for more in, in their, their life. life. Yeah, a call to the journey for more in their life. Unpack that for us a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, it's so related to my journey because I felt like that's what wanted to come out. Is this, there's a call for more. There's this 
bigness, this destiny, we can call it a calling, right? That like, I'm here to make a bigger impact from, from our, from my gifts. And that's what I believe, like, that's what I just define the calling as. Like when someone's getting a calling in their life, that's what I truly believe is calling them. It's actually their gifts. It's their gifts that are saying, Hey, if you go down this path, let's say it's your career, whatever, whatever role you're in, or even if it's a current business venture, if you're getting a call beyond that, what I believe life is telling us is that in some way, shape, or form, you're, like, your gifts are meant to play bigger in a bigger capacity or to be utilized to make a bigger impact for the greater good of humanity. Mm-hmm. And my mentor, Dr. Donnie Epstein, says in this lifetime, we're always getting the ultimatum. The ultimatum is what he calls soul or pain, meaning that in this lifetime, we're going we're gonna to get the call to follow our soul. Or there's pain in some way, shape, or form coming into our life, whether it's emotional pain, friction. For me, it was the stomach turning, chest tightening, throat closing up when I would show up to the corporate role. I was like, there's some pain here. There's something that's not working. And the call for more is the call for us to play bigger in our gifts to make a bigger impact Yeah, uh, in some way, shape, or form. So that's, that's how I define the, the call. And I believe we're living in a time where we're all getting a calling. Yeah. You, you described, Robert, this, this roadmap that uh, people could use to find their calling. That's Can correct. Tell us about that. The map that I kind of uncovered for myself, I said, wow, there are going to be so many people that are going to be leaving their career to start a business in some way, shape, or form, or for their calling in some way, shape, or form. And so the map is what I, like my gift to the world that I want to bring to show people how to navigate this transition, how to navigate transitioning into their calling or navigating their calling while in a career. And the three, before I dive into it, I'll just introduce the map at a high level. There's really three kind of phases to it. So there's finding your path, there's clarifying your path, and then there's beginning to walk your path. And the premise is so that finding and clarifying are there because I believe one has to gain clarity on who they are first before that they uncover their path. This is from my, my experiences at Cutco because I believe that when I was in my first two Cutco experiences, one of the reasons why I don't think they did as well as I expected them to do is because I believe I truly was in business for the wrong reasons on some level. There was a, like, I was in business for me, right? Wanting this image, wanting to like look a certain way. And what I realized is that like, if I'm going to do this, I have to get into it for impact. I believe the, the, the way that we can make our greatest impact in the world is to get really clear on who we are, right? I believe that every single person on this planet has a mission, has a purpose that they're here for. And when they're clear on that, then their path illuminates itself, right? To show how we're going to actually make this happen. You know this, Dan, better than anyone. You know, the, the average business, right? Or business owner is going to fail a few times before they get really good. And the average business usually only lasts six to 18 months I believe we can move the needle on that statistic, but I believe that happens because people aren't really clear on who they are. And I've seen so many early entrepreneurs not really go as far as they'd like because every 6, 12 to 18 months, they're on to something new. They have this new idea. And the reality is, is that like, we have to like, build from the core of who we are and build that, that as the foundation. I like what you said there about understanding why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Right. The whole idea that you got into running a branch office, you know, largely because you wanted to create this image of yourself and you wanted yep. people to look at you a certain way and think exactly. like, wow, he's a success. 
yeah. you know, and the, the motivation a lot of times for people is an individual internal, you know, motivation yeah. versus the impact you could create in the world, the people yeah. whose lives you could change, the value you could bring to others, yeah. right? That is far more motivating in the long term and, and it's much more sustainable in the long term than that being in business for yourself feeling that you described. A hundred percent. And that it's so liberating, right? When you can go into something for impact beyond you, right? And what happens is, is that when we, when we create the impact for others, it actually lights us up and it fills us up even more to make an even greater impact. So right. yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's gotta be for impact, right? And an impact that's, that's aligned from, from the true nature of our gifts. Right. So finding who you are is a, a, a first step in the calling. And then you said clarifying. Can you, can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So just to backtrack here for a second, I believe finding is all about reorganizing our values. Mm-hmm. In some way, shape, or form, if we are feeling lost or not feeling clear on the direction of where we're meant to, to head to, it's usually because there's a part of ourselves that isn't fully living in our authentic expression or truly living from our most aligned values in some way, shape, or form. Got for it. me, my unaligned value was that it was I was going into business for me. When my value changed for from me to impact, my path became clear. Right. So it was it was an identity shift. This whole process is an identity shift. Right, where we're going from who we think we are in our mind to who we really are in our heart. Mm. So the first step to gaining clarity is actually to acknowledge that we don't have clarity, is to acknowledge that we're feeling lost. And it's in that acknowledgement and the acceptance of it, does actually do we actually begin the process of of just being with where we're at and saying, okay, here's where I'm at. And here's maybe how far I have to go, but it's better to know how far I have to go than being delusional, right? About where I think I am versus where I really am. And so what clarifying is all about is actually about removing all of the uh, obstructions or all of the obstacles that are in the way of our path. So uh, usually when we get to our path, there's like these boulders that fell on our path. There's these trees that fell down, right? There's all these things that are aspects of ourselves that I, the way that I describe it is, it's, it's, there are aspects of ourselves that have forgotten. And so we're really being invited to look into these aspects of ourselves that have forgotten who we truly are to then remember. So clarifying is actually really about remembering who we have always been mm-hmm. and really working to live that. And as we start to live that, what happens is that we become this walking, talking, living, breathing billboard of our mission, message, and truth. And when we're the walking, talking, living, breathing billboard of our mission, message, and truth, what happens is, is that our path begins to manifest itself and actualize itself more effortlessly because we're embodying the truth, we're embodying the wisdom. Robert, what are some questions someone can ask themselves to, to figure out if they're, they're on that path, if they're in their calling? Yeah, How do you great. know? It's a great question. So it's not really a question that I, I, I think they could ask themselves as much as there's a practice that they can practice that can help them. And the practice is a practice of presence. And really listening to themselves. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit in stillness for a meditation, but you're going to need some type of aspect of contemplation, some aspect of giving yourself space to listen. So the practice is really listening. And 
there is a question that someone could ask themselves, because th- by the way, that question you just asked me is a great question. So I, I have to really like sit with it. But what's coming through to me is, are my deepest values in my life being honored in this moment? Mm-hmm. Are my deepest values of my life being honored in this moment? And that's a deep question. It's probably going to take some contemplation, some time to sit with it. But if you feel like in any way, shape, or form that there's more room for you to honor your deepest values, then I would say that in some way, shape, or form, you're probably not fully aligned in your calling in some way, shape, or form. If the role that you're in doesn't allow you to honor your deepest values in some way, shape, or form, there's probably room for improvement. I think that's the best answer I can give in this moment. That's very powerful. Yeah, Robert. And as I think about this, and I and I try to contemplate for my own self, just yeah. as I'm listening to you, I feel like one of the deepest values I have, I guess I would summarize it in one word with the word contribution. Mm-hmm. It's about like, I want everybody in the world to have a better experience of yeah. life. And I feel like all of us have things we can offer to each other. And if we could create a synergistic world where everybody was giving to other people and contributing more to other people, well, we would also get be on the receiving end of a lot more of that. And um, everybody could learn faster. Everybody could develop their ideas and thinking faster. We could find more common ground and come together as a society. And like the whole world would be better if everybody was had the mindset of contribution. I agree. And so to me, that's a a core value that stands out as as you were speaking that that I got out of that. And I just think about, you know, what am I doing in my life that's enabling me to contribute? Yeah. Right? My Vector Cutco role certainly is an answer to that. Although to me it's not the answer that's going to fulfill everything that I can contribute, right? That yeah. I, I feel the need to contribute beyond just my vector role. Having kids is yeah. a part of that contribution for me as well. Yeah. But that's where I feel like my deepest values are honored is through contribution of some sort. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing. And I think the podcast that you, you have here, Changing Lives, Selling Knives, I think it's an unbelievable contribution to the Cutco community and to everyone like tethered to the Cutco community and beyond. Because there's so much that the opportunity has given me. And I think that it like this is highlighting it. It's shining a light. It's shining the spotlight on the opportunity and what it's given to so many people. And I think it's it's so needed right now because it really is an opportunity that's going to amplify and magnify like your journey and what's true for your journey. For me, it's magnified and amplified everything for me because in any way, shape, or form, what I'm doing now has stemmed from my cut go experience. And if it wasn't for that experience that like was part of my rite of passage, so to speak, right, then I wouldn't be here now. And so, and I, I know there, there are many people that could say the same. So I yeah. think what you're doing is, is having a massive impact. And yeah. I love the, the theme of the, the podcast. It's just like, it's very focused and it's very like pulling, it's pulling out and extrapolating lessons because there's, there's so many lessons that people learn in the Cutco experience. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. For the people who are listening who have made Cutco Vector their calling, yeah. what advice would you have on how to make the role as meaningful as it can be? Yeah, I can share. There's a few answers I can give here. The first answer that I can give 
And I know the Cutco, especially the, the manager experience, has definitely changed since I've been around. There's definitely been some, a lot of changes that have enhanced the opportunity and made it not easier, but more effortless for the, the manager. And I remember the big lesson that I was trying to do when I was starting my office, I was trying to do everything uh, myself. And my first big lesson to make it more meaningful is to stay in your gifts and to stay in your genius and to stay in what works for you. If you are more lit up by running trainings and uh, you know coaching reps, then stay in that lane. If you're more lit up right by looking at the the data and analytics, then I'd invite you to stay in your lane. That's the first thing I'd invite. The second thing I'd invite is I would develop early, develop often. And I know I'm speaking to the Cutco managers. I'm not really speaking to reps here in this moment, but uh, to the managers that are definitely are have certainly make it their calling. I know that for a fact. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to develop others so that you can stay in your genius and you can train and develop early and often. And lastly, yeah, just I would invite every day to that you're showing up, that you're living from your heart, that you're you're in your heart and you're giving from your heart and you see the ripple, you see the spark happening in young adults' lives and adults' lives that are being changed right through the opportunity and all the infinite lessons that are being taught. And if you stay true to that, I think that everything else will work itself out. Yeah, that's I think brilliant those, advice. Yeah, those, those are probably the three things I can give in this moment. That's, that's brilliant advice. Very strong. Yeah, Robert, before we wrap this up, this has been really awesome. You said something earlier about the soul standard. Yep. And you said, you know, it's finding something that's aligned with who you are. And I know in some of the things I've read that you've put out uh, previously, this soul standard is something that you feel like all leaders must learn to honor. Yeah, I just want to give you an opportunity to to expound upon that briefly here, if you feel like that's something that you want to share before we wind this down. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so my mentor, Dr. Donnie Epstein, says that souls are not roles and roles are not souls. And what he means by that is that we can't bind our authentic expression in a box. We can't be put in a box all the time. And what I believe that roles do sometimes is that they inherently put someone or things in a box, right? And they're meant to fit in this box. And what I believe to be true is is with the soul standard is that we have to break the box. We have to break the box of putting things in boxes. And if you think about the time that we're living in, with how politically divisive uh, our world is and how there's so many worldviews and so many perspectives, Right? We have to see multiple perspectives. We have to see and be able to put things outside of the box right? and see how things can be more malleable right? and more fluid than they, ha- than, than they are to be rigid and, and structured. And what I believe to be true is that in this new economy and this new society that we're birthing into the world is that our deepest and authentic expression will have to be honored and considered in our vocation. And in order for that to happen, we have to break the box in some way. We have to find ways to not create a box and allow things to be more fluid. And so the soul standard means to me is that if you're not doing something that's aligned with the deepest expression of who you are, that it's going to be really hard to find something sustainable and effortless and aligned for you in the future. And I think that we as leaders, we have to consider that for ourselves first, but also for our team. If we have a team member that, you know, we're trying to put our team member in a box, we're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, and it's not really working for them, they can only manage that for so long before it's time for they, they just feel like it won't be aligned for them anymore. 
And so honoring it for ourselves and honoring it for our team and honoring it for others. And I believe that as we do that, it's a blessing that we give uh, humanity, that we bless humanity when we help them find a role that allows them to feel like they can be in their authentic expression. Yeah. Uh, so that's my, my take so far on the soul standard as it, as it continues to evolve. Awesome. Well, really great stuff here, Robert. This has been uh, very, very thought-provoking and uh, high value, I'm sure, for the audience. You know, you referenced the theme of the podcast, Changing Lives. And just to finish this up, I'm interested to hear as you look into your own future, you know, how do you aspire to change people's lives through what you're doing? Yeah. Thank you so much for asking. I think the, the only thing that I can do is continue to say yes, to continue to say yes to this identity, right? This soul venture identity, this, this part of me that is the, is, needs to be the walking, talking, living, breathing billboard of my mission, message, and truth. And in any way, shape, or form, how that will show up, whether it's podcast, speaking, making an impact, right? As long as I can continue to be this expression of myself, then I think that everything else will work itself out. Everything else will fall where it needs to fall. So that's to me, it's like I'm always challenging myself and how I can truly live in my most authentic expression. And it's, it's a, I think it's a never-ending journey, right? Because we're always evolving, we're always expanding, and we're always like refining and further micro-calibrating what is true to us. And I think it's in that that it, the journey of itself is the destination, right? It's like, wow, I get to just enjoy where I'm at in this moment. And I get to say, hey, I'm just further learning about myself. Anytime I'm being called to calibrate my authentic expression, to be more authentic, it's just a part of me that's learning about myself, right? It's learning about this other aspect of me, this other part of me that wants to be expressed and finding a way to pull it together and bring it together and share that with the world. To me, that's my challenge for myself is continuing to live in that expression. And I believe when I do that, and if I do that, that everything else will fall where it can and where it needs to. That's awesome. I love the idea of continuing to say yes and thinking about what are you saying yes to? And, and I wrote down the question, will this further my expression of my truest self? Mm. And whenever an opportunity comes our way or a possibility or something we could do to think about it from that lens, is this opportunity, is this activity, is this path that I could take going to further my expression of my truest self? And if it is, we say yeah. yes to those things. If it's not, we learn to say no to the things that are not taking us down that path. And that can lead us uh, to the kind of life that we want to have. Yeah, I agree. Thank hey, you so man. much for having me, Dan. This is awesome. Yeah, this has been great. I appreciate uh, all your time and all your wisdom here. I enjoyed this and uh, grateful that you made time for the podcast, Robert. Thank you, Dan. Wow, that was Robert B. McGinnis, everyone, with some powerful insight. You know, one of the first things he said about a learning from his Cutco experience was the ability to set a vision and a goal and to understand how to achieve it. I've often used the analogy of, you know, we're at point A and our goals are somewhere far out there. You could call it point Z or point T or point M or whatever it might be, but it's not point B or C. Our goals are multiple steps away. Our long-term vision are, is usually multiple steps away from where we are now. And someone that's great at goal setting has the ability to clarify that long-term vision, but then also to be able to see what is point B and what is point C and what are my steps to get to where I want to be. 
and that that ability to clarify and break down goals and visions is applicable to succeeding in all areas of life. It's one of the critical skills for success that we teach in the Cutco Vector experience. Robert also said that most people don't have the experience they want in business the first time. There are typically struggles and challenges when you're beginning an entrepreneurial journey and recognizing that as a key element of, of you know staying in the game to be able to get to the success that you want. It's not always easy. I uh, like the way Robert defines a sole venturer is an individual who consistently says yes to the call for more in their life. And the idea that we spend time in contemplation, right, are my deepest values in my life being honored in what I'm doing, right? The importance of having a vocation that takes into consideration our authentic expression of ourselves that allows us to stay in our gifts, that allows us to bring our true genius out. I think that's critical. And of course, Robert wrapped up by suggesting that we continue to say yes to the things in our life that will further our authentic expression of ourselves. So many great insights, so many great ideas. I hope you got a ton out of this episode today. Thanks so much for supporting this podcast. As you contemplate your own values, there's a tremendous tool that you can use to learn more about yourself and about the people you lead. Core Values Index, or CVI, is the most reliable personality assessment ever created. I've arranged for our listeners to get a free CVI assessment by visiting erep.com slash e slash dc. That's E-R-E-P dot com slash e slash dc. It takes less than 10 minutes to complete and you'll get your results immediately. You'll also have an option to upgrade your report to a detailed assessment that can really help you identify your deepest and most important values. Go to erep.com slash e slash dc and take your free CVI test right now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.